Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm joined once again today by Josh Tutwiler, who will be sharing part two of his testimony. If you missed part one last week, uh, feel free to visit our website, frontporchtalks.com, and look for July 28th, WBTX program, Josh Tutwiler, testimony part one. Josh, if you'd like to recap a little bit of what you shared last week and go into uh, the rest of your testimony. Sure, no problem. So basically kind of to catch everybody up to speed here, it was uh, just a little under seven years ago. It was in September 2012. I had uh, gone out to Missouri to spend some time with, with my girlfriend at the time. I had just gotten hired at the College of William Mary as an assistant baseball coach. Uh, and on Sunday of my visit out there, we had gone hiking and, and climbed up the side of a ridge. And at the top of that ridge, about two feet down, was uh, another little shelf that there was plenty of room to stand on and admire the view and take some pictures. Uh, we went to stand on it, and uh, where she stood was fine. Where everything that I stood on uh, kind of gave out from under me. And I free fell about 40 feet. Uh, in the process, I, I broke my neck in four different places, landed on an outcrop uh, while my girlfriend had gone to go get help. I uh, had managed to actually get up at the time. I didn't think I could, but eventually I got up and climbed back up the side of the cliff and uh, hiked about a mile and a half out where I met the EMTs uh, in the parking lot where they took me to the hospital. And as they assessed my injuries and kind of what was going on with me, they determined that I had broken, like I said, my uh, four vertebrae in my neck. And the higher up you break a vertebrae in your neck, the worse off you are. And so your vertebrae are numbered numerically one through seven uh, for your cervical spine, which is the portion of your spine that is basically your neck. Your cervical spine, then your thoracic, then your lumbar spine make up your entire, uh, uh, all the vertebrae in your back. And so the higher up you break a vertebrae, the worse off, like I said, you are. I broke C1, which is the very highest one that you can break. Uh, It's one that when you break, generally speaking, uh, there is enough head trauma required to break that, that you most likely died from the head trauma from a TBI. You don't uh, generally, if you break your C1, you've probably already died from something else. So that's kind of a a secondary uh, issue. (laughs) Uh, When you break C1, what happens is it's, you know, your vertebrae are are like discs and one of two things happen and not to get, you know, too graphic, but basically it can either, as they told me, it popped like a lifesaver uh, and so it can either kind of go in on itself and it basically, it cuts your spinal column and you at best bed a quadriplegic at worst case scenario, you, you suffocate to death because you can't push your lungs up to, to breathe. The other option for how, how that can work and what happened with me was that when it pops, it can go outwards. And as it goes outwards, the problem with that is that there is a space, a kind of a hole in the back of your vertebrae where your vertebral artery runs through, which is one of the three main blood supplies to your brain. And when it pops and it goes outwards, generally it severs your vertebral artery and you bleed out. And so you die that way. Mine popped and just bumped up against the artery. And then that was about it. And so I had a little bit of a blood clot there, but I didn't have anything, uh, any any sort of severing or, or bleeding or anything like that. That would be a problem. So I had broken C1, I had broken C3, and I had broken C4. Uh, and also, as they said, I obliterated C6. And so the doctors at this point are coming up. This is Monday after I fell on a Sunday. Uh, just the very next day, they're coming up with a plan for how to put me back together. And they start talking surgery on, on Tuesday. And my parents had gone to work on Monday, got in the car, and 
drove through the evening and the night and got to uh, Columbia, Missouri very early on Tuesday morning to be with me there and kind of you know talk to doctors and stuff like that too before they do any major cutting. And so, like I said last time, the last thing there uh, is they're getting ready to, you know, do the surgery on Tuesday. They want to make me aware of all the possible things that can happen. And they say, well, you know what, while you're here, you're okay. Like you're fine right now. You're stable. But what could happen is we could, as we pull your vertebrae back together, we could nick something, bump something, what have you. And you could lose feeling in something. You could, you know, we could have paralysis in this. And they worked their way up the entirety, basically, of my body. And at the end, they said, or, you know, worst case scenario, there's a chance we could lose you on the table. And so I, uh, I raised my hands and I just thought to myself, I need to say something. I don't know what I need to say, but I know that I, that's not right. I need to say something here. And the guy says, do you have a question? And I, I said, yeah, well, I just have something to say. Still didn't know what I was going to say. And when I opened my mouth, what came out was, I know somebody that can bring the dead back to life. I don't think a couple broken bones are going to be any problem. And we had a, a very uncomfortable stare off because uh, I, I don't believe he was a believer. I don't think he quite got what I was trying to say. And so after about 15 or so seconds, he's like, oh, okay, all right, sounds good. We'll be back in here in a little bit to get you. And so uh, they never did that day, though, because that was Tuesday. And I kept getting delayed and delayed for people that were more imminently dying. I was at least stable in, in, in bed. And finally, it was uh, early afternoon. My main doctor comes in. He goes, hey. If we can't get you in here in the next you know, hour or two, we're going to cancel the surgery, reschedule for tomorrow morning because I want my staff to be fresh, alert, ready to go, not be trying to get home soon when they're working on your neck. And I'm like, amen. I'm on board with that. Let's go. I, I want them fresh too. We can cancel it right now if you want to. Um, and so that ended up being what happened. So we had surgery very early on Wednesday morning. And uh, basically what they did was they cut in from the back of my neck. They generally prefer whenever they do fusions to go in from the front. But for how high it is, they, they went in. I have a, a nice little scar, a little railroad track going down the back of my head uh, where they went in and they uh, pulled C1 together and uh, fused it to C2. And the surgeon came out of the surgery and he told my parents, he said, that went as well as I could have ever hoped it could have. So he said, okay. And uh, so then we started going into surgery two, which, again, they, they didn't talk a whole lot about surgery two because of some of the complications and risks of surgery one. Uh, but we do. We make it a surgery two. And before that surgery, uh, the anesthesiologist comes in and he starts talking to me about the process of how this is going to go. And he says, you know, by the way, you're a miracle. I'm like, ah, all right, we're on the same page here. I like this. Cool. Like, OK. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I know. And he's like, no. I'm not sure that you do know, but you, you are a miracle. Like, okay, well, maybe I don't know, but I still like that we're on the same page. Okay, cool. So he walks out of the room after kind of getting me up to speed, and, and Dad had a question for him, so he follows him outside, and he goes, uh, the, the anesthesiologist beats and beats my dad to the punch, and he says, well, I've got a question for you. And it's like, what do you got? He goes, well, how long did it take uh, help to get to him? Dad goes, what? He goes, well, how long did it take help to get to him? That's like, what? No, I understand what you're saying, but that's not at all how it happened. You don't know the story then, do you? Because help didn't come to him. He went to help. <laughs> and the anesthesiologist says, no, I, I don't know the story. All I know is that what has happened over there with that young man is not real. It's not normal. He goes, I've worked here a long time. I don't mean to be cold and crass, but people that come in with injuries like that, 
We don't expect them to be alive first off, but if they are alive, we have a word for them. And that word is quadriplegic. We try to make them comfortable, fit them for a wheelchair, and teach their loved ones how to take care of them the rest of their lives. I have a word for that young man in there that not many people in this hospital will use, but that's a miracle. Because that is not something that we normally see. And in fact, he has this entire surgical trauma intensive care unit floor in a buzz right now because nobody can believe that he's real. And that's going, well, that's, you know, he didn't quite realize all of that to the extent of what the anesthesiologist said. But I found that to be true because University of Missouri is a teaching hospital. And so every morning I had a team of doctors surrounding my bed. I knew my top three, four doctors' names. I didn't know everybody, you know, and it looked, it looked like an episode of, of Scrubs or something like that where there's just a bunch of doctors standing around. And so all throughout the day, if I was awake, it was just a constant stream of, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. How are you? Somebody poking their head in the door. So they say, hey, you're doing great. We're going to get you out of here. All right, give me a thumbs up and leave. And I thought it was all my doctors. Turns out it was all the doctors and nurses and orderlies and everybody else from everybody else throughout the floor that just wanted to see what I looked like because they couldn't believe that I was actually real. And so I, uh, yeah, that, was, that was a little bit uh, shocking to hear kind of as he said, you know, my word is miracle. Not many people are going to use that word, though. So on Thursday, I had my second surgery. They, uh, and, and not at the risk of being too graphic, but it does play a role here, here shortly. They, they basically cut me from the front of my throat, uh, kind of pushed my esophagus to the side, did all of their work, you know, kind of put in a, a fake vertebrae, infused five, six, slash fake vertebrae, and seven all together, and uh, sewed me up and sent me off. So on Friday morning, I do some occupational therapy and get cleared to go to a regular room. And again, once again, the name... The name thing uh, comes up, and it, there's a card on the room uh, for from housekeeping that said, this room was prepared for you by, and then the housekeeper was to sign their name, and my housekeeper for the room that I got to uh, was prepared by Angel. And it was just another name where you're like, this is all just, this is too crazy. So I'm in the room Friday afternoon, have just ordered lunch, and uh, they come in. Uh, the doctors come in again and they say, all right, well, we got you in a regular room. When it comes to fusions, it's pretty much you are what you are. There isn't a whole lot more we can do for you. You know, you'll go home and rest and do some physical therapy. But I mean, once you get titanium in, in your body, it's it ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and they say, that's kind of all we got for you. We're going to discharge you. Would you like to go uh, tonight or tomorrow morning? And I went, ooh, okay. And I thought I thought about it for a second. And from my hospital room, I could see the football field. And they had another home football game the next week. And I'm going, mm, SEC home football game on a Saturday, trying to get discharged, feeling the way I do. I would probably could go for another night here, to be quite honest, but it's probably best if we just went ahead and did it today. So we end up getting discharged, go through that whole process, and then we, uh, we drive uh, about two hours, just short of two hours, right before St. Louis, uh, get a room in a hotel there, which uh, – we found out that, surprisingly enough, apparently hotel rooms don't have hospital beds, uh, <laughs> which uh, obviously is, you know, it's pretty obvious. But at the same time, I'd been used to sleeping in a hospital bed, and they were very concerned with me about how much I was going to be moving, turning, you know, going around. Where you know I could do some, but it was kind of more precautionary. And so even just getting out of bed and kind of moving around was pretty difficult. And so. Uh, that was not a, a super pleasant night, um, being stacked up by pillows in, in that hotel. Uh, and so, well, we get up the next day, 
and we drive and we make it to Ashton, Kentucky, and we stay in another hotel uh, for the night. Uh, at this point, we get we get a handicap room. I'm sleeping in a recliner, which was much easier to do and to manage. And then we get up on Sunday morning and drive the duration back to uh, back to Bridgewater, where I was greeted by a ton of people at my parents' house, which was. Uh, really cool to see to have so many people there with banners and cards and balloons and, and really at the, at the whole point the outpouring of, of everything from everybody the amount of phone calls texts emails Facebook Twitter fill in the blank it was it was it was incredible I mean my phone would literally vibrate until it died uh, just from how many people were reaching out to me which was which was a real encouragement and so as, as I go through the recovery process I have a neck brace on for about six weeks. Um, then we start to kind of ease my way off of it a little bit, but the cool part about, you know, obviously the whole, the whole story from start to finish, you know, thus far is, has been a miracle, but the miracle is they didn't stop here and kind of, you know, calling back to the, the verse from second Corinthians, uh, kind of that passage there that I read, uh, from the first episode here where the miracles continued on. And, you know, I, I talked about, you know, them, you know, cutting my, my, through my neck, through the front and moving my esophagus and things like that, not to be graphic or gory or shock value or anything like that. But I, I lost my voice for, uh, for about 60 days, um, after the surgery. And they had told me that there'd be some problems and things like that with, uh, you know, intubation and things, you, you know, be a little bit raspy, which, which, you know, that, that just kind of comes to the territory of surgery, but mine was a little bit prolonged. And so as I'm going through this, at one point I, uh, you know, we're like, something's bad here. So we like, this isn't, I'm not healing the way you're supposed to. So I went to go see an ENT here in town and the doctor looks at me and he basically said that I had hundred percent paralysis of my right vocal cord. And I go, okay. Uh, so what's that mean? What are the odds of it coming back? And he's like, well, it just might, I can't tell you one way or the other. And again, it was, it was a couple weeks after that. And I'm sitting on the couch watching a football game and I make a comment about, uh, uh, the play that happened and it came out just like I'm talking right now. And I look over and my dad and he looks at me and we're both like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And yeah, okay. And so my voice had started to come back. And it wasn't full strength immediately, but it, it had started to work its way back. It, it was just a couple of days after that, we go back to the ENT and he's looking at it. I, obviously, I can't see what he sees, but as he's doing that, he keeps going, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. And uh, my neighbor is one of his uh, top nurses that went with him from patient to patient. And he goes, here. He goes, come look at this. And she looks at it and she starts tearing up and I'm going, okay, time out here. You're awesome in this thing to death. You're crying. What's going on here? And so they look at me and the doctor goes, well, I'll be honest with you, Josh. I never thought you were getting your voice back. He goes, I told you there was a chance, but yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. It could, it did, but I never expected it to. He goes, your voice is definitely on the mend right now and I can't really account for it. Okay, that's great. So we continued through all of that and it was the 1st of January. You know, I fell in September and 1st of January I moved down to Williamsburg and uh, you know, started coaching at work. There were some limitations with kind of being a little bit careful and cautious about what I was doing, you know, but at the same time I was pretty much a full go and I was in the first base coach's box at Clemson midway through uh, February for opening day of the season. And so, you know, to kind of go back to the verses, you know, I talked about before in Second Corinthians and kind of the, 
the lens for which to look at this story about kind of the miracles of what God used it for and how cool it was, was the reach that it had. And I mean, I had, I, I got reports, people tell me that Scott and Kelly and Caleb were praying for me, the 700 club, uh, the Christian legal defense Alliance stopped in the middle of the workday and they all went down to the conference room to pray and things like that, which is all great. And not that, you know, just cause they were prominent people praying for me, it doesn't mean they necessarily work better, <laughs> but just the number of people and the reports I heard, and especially I thought it was really cool where uh, we had just started FCA at ODU my senior year, and some of the folks from ODU decided uh, on one of the first nights of that week that they were going to go have a little candlelight vigil uh, at the baseball field, which is a great idea. It just so happens that the baseball stadium's locked at night, <laughs> uh, like a lot of things. And uh, for some reason, it wasn't, though. And it was open. They got to walk right in. They walked right on the field, and they lit candles and put them in the shape of number seven on top of home plate. Seven was my number when I played and prayed for me. And they got left there, I guess, overnight, and our head coach was not upset by it or anything. In fact, uh, he told the team the next day, he goes, you know what? He goes, those FCA folks, they're different. And if you guys want to live better lives, you should act like them. So whatever they're about, you guys need to go try to find that out and try to live like that. And I'm going, this is like this is crazy. I have people that are not connected witnessing. Like that's not, that doesn't even like, it's not like this is, you know, people within the church and things like that, that are witnessing. This is somebody that's just, you know, kind of going, going off on their own. And and they're talking about, you know, the great things that God's doing on their own. And so, you know, we go back to the whole perspective thing where everything, everything, you know, oftentimes, you know, like I said, we look at it from our perspective in a me centric world. And, you know, but if you look at it from a bigger picture, my fall was a miracle. You know, like I said, I asked for you to look at it through the eyes of pointing back to Jesus as, as well as the scripture. And I shouldn't have lived when I fell, but I was saved and I did. We shouldn't live because of our sin, but Jesus came to save us and we can. And I come back to, there's a song David Crowder sings called Miracle. And in two lines from it, he goes, Oh, what a miracle you come for all to save us all away. Oh, what a miracle you come for all to lift us from the grave. And Jesus came to lift us from the grave. And, and I don't know why I fell off the cliff. The exact reasons uh, are unknown to me, but I know what I have been allowed to do with it. And because the story of God saving me from dying off a cliff is amazing, but the story of how God sent his only son to die and rise again is not just amazing. It's awesome. And I don't want to compare myself to Adam or David, the two examples I used from Tim Keller's sermon earlier. But Jesus saving us is the true and better version of what he did with me on September 9th, 2012. He saved me from physical death on that day, but he also wants to save us from spiritual death, you know, eternity apart from God. Look at 2 Peter 3.9. It says, God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And if we don't have salvation through repentance and faith, then, then we are going to die spiritually. But, you know, the great part is God worked a miracle in that mountain, and it doesn't even compare to the miracle that is the saving life that's offered through what his son did. And, you know, we're born sinners, but Jesus came into this world to die on the cross, to rise again, to save us from our sins. And, you know, in Romans, it says, if we believe with our hearts, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then we'll be saved. And that mm-hmm. the transformation of our hearts to be filled with Jesus and his spirit, I mean, that's, that's the greatest miracle of all time. Because, you know, the story I have of the miracle of surviving and, and falling off a cliff, it's, I mean, it's a good one. <laughs> but the miracle of salvation is the best one ever. And, you know, I hope that's, that's an encouragement to you about, you know, a God that is still doing miracles, both physically and also, you know, most importantly, spiritually, even to this day. Well, Josh, thank you for sharing your testimony with us today. And uh, it's just 
miracles is uh, <laughs> you use that word and said that the doctors even use that word, mm-hmm. which was pretty impressive when a doctor um, not you know obviously there's Christian doctors, but you had mentioned the one doctor was pretty skeptical um, mm-hmm. of that type of thing, but it was just cool, and it was multiple miracles that the Lord mm-hmm. did, you know that you didn't die right away when you fell and break your neck and then that you were able to walk and weren't a quadriplegic and then the whole miracle with your voice and not losing your voice mm-hmm. was another miracle and I'm sure there were other miracles along the way so it's just a great testimony thank you for sharing and uh just uh share maybe some opportunities in the last 7 years uh that the Lord has given you to share your testimony or just to encourage those, to give hope to those who have had some physical trials or some, you know, some situations that might have seemed hopeless, but maybe that you were able to encourage them through your story. Sure. No question. And and those, those, uh, those opportunities have been, uh, pretty frequent and say, whether it be, you know, going and speaking to, you know, an FCA group or, you know, speaking in a church or even, you know, a smaller men's Bible study, men's study group or something like that. It's been something where, you know, I've been afforded a lot of opportunities to go share that. And wherever you go, uh, it it seems like it never fails. Somebody, it connects with them in some way and oftentimes in different ways where, you know, you think, you know, a lot of times somebody that has a very personal tight connection of, you know, this happened to, you know, a family member or something like that or somebody else. I've had plenty of people that just completely, uh, spun it around where the how it impacted them was something I would have never have guessed and I could have never lined that up by any stretch of the imagination and they come up to me going that is that's just such an encouragement about you know what God's doing and things like that and as they tell their story I'm just going that's crazy like I would have never seen that come you know whatever and I go back to where I was in when I was at Old Dominion one of the jobs that I had uh, in my senior year as the FCA leader was if somebody had just come to salvation or if they were just becoming more involved with FCA or things like that, I would go go to lunch with them and have a notebook and sit down and go, all right, talk to me and just lay it out there. Tell me your whole story, whatever, and I'd take some notes. And then I would try to find some scripture to connect back with them so they could you know, share it at group. And when it came time, it was at the end of, end of my senior year and it was our last FCA uh, of, of the spring of 2012, and our, our staff leader goes, "Hey, why don't why don't you uh, why don't you share your testimony this time? It's your last one. Like you do it." And I started writing and thinking, and I'm going, "Man, I don't have anything cool. Like I, I've got nothing right now. Like I've lived a very blessed life. My parents are together. I've never been to jail. I've never been kicked off a team. Like I'm like, like I didn't have anything stunning to like offer to the table. Which obviously, looking back at it, was very much a blessing in and of itself." Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really have, you know, anything, you know, crazy or anything like that, you know, that's going on. Um, and I was, I was cautioned way earlier in my life, and I didn't realize how true this is going to be. Uh, be careful asking God for a testimony because He just might give you one. <laughs> but, uh, and, and not that I would, not that I would trade this. This is obviously the exact place, in, you know, where He wanted me and sharing it, you know, and how He wants me to do it. But you know, kind of having that new. Uh, added testimony is a little bit of a, a little bit of a difference, you know. And so, you know, I'll, I'll go around and I'm able to to share it with other people and, and encourage them. And, and the impact that people have had from it has been so wide ranging, 
where it's just incredible. You know, you look at you look at the story of Joseph in the verse talks about where, you know, what you intended for evil, God God used for right. good. You know, and something where I don't know that anybody uh, if they were writing up a storybook script for how their life and things were going to go, would say, all right, well, I'm going to do this for, you know, 20-some years, and then I'm going to fall off a cliff and break my neck. You know, that's that's not no, that, that's not the way, you know, you normally look at it. But, again, that's my perspective from the operating room deck where all I can see is what I can see. I can't see everything that God sees. And so when he gives you that kind of story, uh, being able to go from place to place and things like that, or even just in my daily daily with other people that I work with, you know, being able to tell the story uh, is something that's been pretty cool to see kind of the different responses for how people can use that and and apply it to themselves. Thank you for sharing that, Josh. And maybe if there's just maybe some advice you'd have for somebody going through a tough time, maybe it's a physical hopelessness or maybe it's another situation, but something that helped you get through that time you know, when you're there in the hospital, not really sure knowing the outcome of these surgeries or the time you were going when you had the voice issues, weren't sure if you were going to get your voice back, just, you know, obviously the Lord, but just maybe expand a little bit on that. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. You know, that's something where, you know, kind of, you know, going back to even like the benediction we talked about, you know, when it, that I opened with, you know, you go nowhere by accident, you know, th- words like that scripture where, you know, uh, I think it's kind of a misused scripture oftentimes of all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be great and, and hunky-dory and, you know, you know, healthy, wealthy and all that kind of fun stuff like that. But it does mean that everything that God has his hand on, which is everything, uh, is going to work together in the end. And it's something where uh, it's tough. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say, you know, it, everything's great. It's all rainbows and roses here. But, you know, knowing that there is a God who is in control and he's a, a lot more qualified than I am to make sure everything, you know, goes together. Uh, it's comforting because I know that I, I screw up, um, pretty frequently more than I care to admit for sure. Uh, and you know, if I would be in charge of everything, things would go to the bad pretty quick, but I'm not thankfully, <laughs> but he is and he, and he hasn't messed up ever and, and never will. Right. And so if we've got somebody that, you know, is perfect and omniscient and omnipotent uh, and, and completely sovereign, uh, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I I'm, may not be crazy about how it is shaking out right now, but it's going exactly the way that it's supposed to be going. And so knowing that is very, uh, can help a lot for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that, Josh. And it's been really encouraging. I'd never heard your testimony before. And I'd heard that you had had a fall, pretty bad fall. But other than that, that's not a whole lot of detail of all the miracles and all the things that went into your testimony. So thank you for sharing over the last two weeks. I've really enjoyed hearing your testimony. Just anything else that you haven't shared already that you might want to share in closing? Just one thing where, you know, I I was fortunate to have one of my pastors in Norfolk. He told me where, and he's the one that put me on to kind of how, you know, the topic of framing your story in the grand narrative type thing. And he goes, man, he goes, I could, I feel like I could preach a bunch of sermons off what you have because whether it be you went through the tree and that's what saved you or you landed on the rock and that's what saved you or you're going down the trails and, you know, all of a sudden you get turned around, but that's okay. God still has you as he, you know, like he said to you there where we got turned around. He goes, man, I can, there's just so much to unpack there. And it was cool and very eye opening for me just to think about how, that's how our lives are, not just in a pretty wild story like this, but every day 
where every day we're doing things that may be mundane, may be monotonous, but God's working that story too. And there, you know, stories aren't ranked one or the other. You know, somebody's got the best story. Somebody's got, you know, the other one. They're, right. The only best story is Jesus. And right. so, you know, for us, though, even the things that we're doing in a day-to-day life, we may not see them at the moment, but God's always working in those to kind of fit that in his grand narrative all the time with us. Well, thank you for sharing that, Josh. And I know Pastor Margaret and I say a lot, you know, we all have a testimony and everybody's testimony is important because God uses each of our testimonies. So it's just an encouragement to you, if you have a testimony, to share your testimony. Mm -hmm. So uh, once again, Josh, thank you for joining me uh, today on Front Porch Talks. Like I said, over the last two weeks, I've really enjoyed hearing your testimony. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. Once again, if you didn't hear last week, uh, as Josh shared the first part of his testimony, you can find that at our website, uh, frontporchtalks.com. It's uh, July 28th, uh, Josh Tutwiler, Part 1. And uh, today you've been listening to Part 2, and we pray uh, that Part 2 of Josh Tutwiler's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. Thanks for listening, and may God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.